Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Matt Cable, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Pierce, I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder, an America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, Naropa University. But I've been thinking about that introduction, Matt. And uh, as the campus pastor at uh, America's only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, uh, isn't there something about interbeing uh, that no Buddhist institution is completely separate from any other institution and uh, should more fully acknowledge the interconnectedness of the interbeing, if you will, of all things? I have no idea what you just said, but I'm going to introduce our two guests on the podcast today. (laughs) <laughs> We've got uh, guests here from another podcast. It's Whoa. like the multiverse. It is like the multiverse. It's somewhat related to what you just said. Did we get the working preacher? We did not get the working preacher. Good. I don't our want him on this podcast. <laughs> the working preacher. No, we've got two guests from Arenacast. 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 Uh, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and their, their context a little bit. Hi, I'm um, Bonnie Rambob. I'm co-pastor at Parkside Community Church in Sacramento, a little south of Sacramento, um, UCC, I think I mentioned. <laughs> so I, I feel like this is awesome to be in this interconnected space with all of these different traditions interacting. So thank you so much for the invite. And this is Casey Tennant. I'm the pastor of Loomis UCC, uh, which is about 30 minutes east of Sacramento. And so um, Bonnie and I are so glad to be with you today, Matt. We're actually with you in person, which is <laughs> right. rare. When we do our podcast, we do it um, through Zoom. Yeah. And so it's really cool to, to be here with you and, and to have this time. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both for, for being here. Can you tell us why you're here in person? What are, what are you doing here in, in, Los, in the City of Angels? That's right. City of Angels, indeed. Well, Bonnie and I are crazy. Crazy. Um, yeah. We, we uh, with one of our other co-hosts, Alan, have done a lot of um, youth, youth stuff together, you know, because all three of our churches don't have lots of teenagers. And so we felt like it was better if we, we worked together. Right. And so Alan's in Elk Grove, Bonnie's in Parkside, at Parkside in South Sac, and I'm in Loomis. And so our teens created a youth group and they call themselves El Parkus. El Parkes. El <laughs> And so um, we brought 15 teenagers down here for a service project um, and just to be together, to help our young people um, see that you don't have to be rich and powerful to change the world. You just have to be willing. Mm-hmm. And so we are trying to put them in situations where they can encounter people who, who saw a need and met it, right? That's what vocation is. Your greatest passions with the world's greatest needs. And um, so we're just trying to help our young people begin to imagine what their vocation might be. Yeah, Mm -hmm. very cool. Well, Zach, I know that you too brought uh, an immersion group to Los Angeles. I did. Years ago now. Mm -hmm. Just a couple years ago. And we just talked to, what was it, like two weeks ago, we talked to uh, Pastor Ray Ranker in Maryland Mm -hmm. about, uh, about trips with campus ministry students. What's up? I mean, I guess we all, we all do these, so we think they're valuable. Why, why do we, why are they valuable? Why is it worth doing these trips? Sometimes I get, I mean, and I, I ask that question honestly, because sometimes I get pushback from folks in the congregation that aren't connected to it at all, or at least questions, uh, you know, in a neutral sense of like, why, why are we spending all this money on, on trips? I don't know if you want to ask us when we're right in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. We're a little tired. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, I think uh, taking youth out of a context that they're so used to, they're just embedded in routine, they don't often look up to see what's around them, and removing them from that context to a place where they're looking, you know, it's new. So everything is fresh and alive, and they're connected in ways that they wouldn't be at home. We try to do local things, too. I mean, we're, they're, they know what's in the Sacramento area. They're aware of justice issues that are going on there. But um, coming down here, we're noticing a different kind of awakening that goes on. Plus that connection with one another, the bonding that happens. You know, this is where lifelong friendships are made. Yeah. And I think it connects them to the larger church, right? So um, 
we have been doing lots of Catholic things, right? I mean, uh, Wednesday we were with uh, Catholic workers having um, dinner. Uh, we served in a soup kitchen that is Catholic, St. Francis Center. Um, today we're going to Homeboy Industries, right? I mean, they're, and then being here, staying at an ELCA church. Sunday they will worship uh, with ELCA folks. Um, and they will have communion in a way that they've never had communion before. Really? Really. How's that um, different? Just that Lord and Savior language, right, is something that I know yeah. most of our churches don't use. Yeah. And so um, all of these experiences help them to see our connectedness, as you were talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The connectedness of all things, right? That we we can come from different traditions, we can be in different parts of the country and world and state, um, but we are all we are all seeking justice. We are all seeking to uh, bring God's kingdom to earth, God's reign of love, and and I think that helping young people wake up, right? Lift your head, lift your eyes, um, and notice that you are connected to all of this. That we together are the body of Christ. That's that's worth the time. It's worth the energy. I mean, all of us, I imagine, had these these experiences as young people. And most young people don't remember sermons. They don't remember half the stuff we teach them in Sunday school. What they remember are these trips, these moments that transform their faith. And that's why I think they're worth doing. Even though it's exhausting. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Zach, is it, has it been exhausting in your experience? I mean, I know the trip that you went on recently hardly involved any physical activity whatsoever. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's exhausting. Tell uh, us what your trip, remind us what your trip was. I'll remind you, I took, uh, we had a group of 11 and we did uh, 10 days on the Camino in Spain. And, and what was particularly difficult logistically about that was that we never spent the night in the same place uh, two nights in a row. Uh, and uh, I think it, it provided a great experience for students. For me, it was a little stressful uh, because, you know, trying to make sure everyone's needs are met. Uh, we did not know what the next village uh, would bring to us. So, yeah, it's always I know my uh, the vinyl spouse does not believe me. Uh, but but it, it's actually a lot of work uh, when I take students on these really exotic trips uh, that look like vacation to other people. And it's really important that I play cards uh, and uh, drink wine with students because that's when we form really deep relationships, you know. So I can't just go to bed. That's right. Jesus knew something about drinking wine with people, right? Yeah. I don't have time to FaceTime. I'm building a human relationship <laughs> and kicking their asses at, uh, at exploding kittens, okay? Somebody's right. going to do that. Somebody has to, yes. <laughs> Somebody's got Somebody to. just did this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, Casey, you talked about seeking justice a little bit. I know that you wanted to talk about some of the stuff that we're doing in our, in our own context uh, year-round uh, outside of trips. So maybe you could talk about what you guys are each doing in your in your context that you're most excited about, whatever you're most excited to talk about. So I often, uh, on our podcast, defer to Bonnie, because um, in my mind, I call her Bishop Bonnie, you know. Um, and so I would love to hear from you, Bonnie. You really have championed, and I mean, literally, Bonnie and I have been together almost for a week now doing other things. Um, and so if, I'd love for you to talk about all the stuff you're doing, but especially the purity stuff, because that's amazing. Yeah. Um, actually, at, at Parkside, it was a collaboration between Loomis, Parkside, Elk Grove, and Pioneer, all UCC churches in the Sacramento area, and Intersections, which is a... Uh, like in-person meetup uh, where folks were migrating out of evangelical or fundamentalist Christianity and are finding that's no longer a home where they can feel spiritually fed. They need to leave, but uh, we all need accompaniment on the journey. And so Intersections is a place to gather and process and find community out in the, in the midst of leaving. So those, all of those organizations came together to bring Linda K. Klein. I don't know if you've heard of Linda K. Klein. She wrote this book called Pure. How it's it's an amazing book. It's about purity culture. The subtitle is How the Evangelical Church Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. 
So she interviewed so many people um, who, you know, the purity rings and the purity pledges and the daddy and daughter dances. And I learned some things. 20% of the United States is evangelical, white evangelical Christian. So it's a huge population of people who are connected in this way to Christianity and to the gospel, the gospel in quotes. Um, and she, she is working and she's just doing all this work to destigmatize sex and sexuality and works against sexual shame and body image shaming and so on. So she came to, she came to Sacramento and we had this uh, amazing dinner called the Break Free Together Dinner. She hosted it, and uh, people had conversations about sex and sexuality. And it was incredible in church. It felt so sacred to to have you know to have that be hosted right in our in our church. Um, So that's one of the things we also do a lot of anti-racism work. Heavily involved with Black Lives Matter in Sacramento. and immigration justice we do a lot of work on that as well and lots Bonnie, of things Bonnie's congregation she's humble right so I'm just going to brag <laughs> Bonnie's congregation was one of the first churches in the area um, to to put uh, cage the nativity right um, and and at first they were getting a lot I mean they still get some hate yeah. for that but uh, when I drove into the parking lot uh, on Tuesday to pick up her kids when we all met there there were roses there were flowers there were prayer flags um, this has become a memorial um, and it, it's really beautiful yeah thank you yeah. yeah and we've had our pride flag stolen so I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast <laughs> podcast is stealing our flag but stop it <laughs> leave it up <laughs> we do that is a significant yeah. part of our demo <laughs> I thought so <laughs> Yeah. 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 We planted a flag for the first time this year, uh, and it was stolen. <laughs> so yeah. I put, it, put it in the sign. Yeah, I saw it. It's still quite visible, but yeah, I was surprised that yeah. even in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, Casey does a ton of stuff, too. Casey, talk about yourself. Yeah. So um, I think one of the things that uh, my congregation is also deeply connected to uh, immigration work. Um, we, uh, my, my group is kind of, we're kind of rowdy. And so protests are our thing. Um, so we've been doing a lot of protests and um, Yuba County Jail is actually an ICE detention center as well. And so we've been going out there to protest. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with uh, trans Latin women, like getting them to um, places in Oakland driving. It's like a drive for us, but getting them from Sacramento to Oakland um, to find the help they need so that they can um, seek asylum, right? So there's a lot of stuff that I'm doing around immigration. Um, But the thing that I think I'm most passionate about and my congregation has rallied behind is the landing spot. So the landing spot is a support group for LGBT teenagers, um, non-religious, and uh, and it's a space for teens to come and just be. Um, And also it's it's a space for parents so we have a parent group that meets as well as teenagers and um and so just holding space for teens in a very conservative part of california so uh, placer county likes to say that they are the orange county of northern california (laughs) and so i've had white supremacists corner me in the grocery store i've had people threaten to light me on light me on fire to hang me um and this is all just because i'm a gay pastor who is who is serving lgbt teenagers right um i was just recently the grand marshal of the sacramento pride parade one of the parents um nominated me and I won. So there were 5,400 votes cast and I received 4,000 of those votes. So, um, to be, to be, um, the grand marshal, one of the grand marshals and to sort of serve in that space. Um, there was some issues around, uh, the police wanting to wear their uniforms and, um, um, one of the other grand marshals, a trans woman who um, had been arrested by these police, who had been uh, put in the men's jail, um, she was outraged. And there was a lot that was, they were trying to silence her. And so I was working really hard to make sure that her voice was heard um, and that she could have the space to say what she needed to say. And so the work is never done, right? Mm-hmm. But that's some of the work we're doing. In fact, some of the kids that are on this trip um, our landing spot kids who grew up in church, who um, who have been kicked out of their churches, and um, when they heard that there was a mission trip, it was like we want to 
we can't go with our church. Can we come with yours? And um, they're the ones who are like, we forgot to pray today. Like, we need to pray. Right. I mean, yeah, so it's beautiful. It's just, it's great. Thanks for sharing with the working guys, too. That's really, really interesting. Um, and I'm like, just even, I have a thought. <laughs> I came to it while I'm listening. I mean, uh, the purity culture, I mean, you tied it to evangelicalism. I grew up in Missouri, so Lutheran. Yeah. And I know we experienced that oh, as well. Oh, yeah. It's... Um, and I, I think, I mean, I don't know quite how that all shakes out. Like, it'd be an interesting historical study, but sometimes I think that in the absence of anything else, those those kind of powerful voices will seep into all the other churches. That's right. even seep in here mm-hmm. if we don't have a strong, like, robust alternative to that kind of theology. Because mm-hmm. right? um, that's what the kids hear. That's what they hear. In the, that's right. Yeah. Um, in the Christian culture that gets out there so. yeah and the Christian culture is dominant in the United States and so it's it's even outside of church mm-hmm. for sure yeah. I mean there's a particular intensity probably within the evangelical church but it's pervasive not one person who was born in the United States anyway or maybe even in the world yeah. hasn't been affected it also strikes me that uh, Zach you have mm-hmm. experience in California's Central Valley hotbed of progressivism, uh, Bakersfield. Emphasis on hot. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> I grew up in Manteca. I have no idea where that is. That's near Stockton. <laughs> oh, okay. I spent, uh, I was, uh, my first call was a pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Bakersfield, uh, down in Kern County, where it was incredibly hot. And, uh, who I try to be political when I talk about Bakersfield. Lovely people at the congregation, but not what. Uh, a person who is not from California thinks of when they think of California. Yeah, there are many Californians out there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. was a very interesting transition for me uh, to go from the pastor of an ELCA church in Bakersfield, where it was very clear what we were doing there and very clear that there were uh, plenty of needs to be addressed. Uh, and then to move from there to Boulder was a shift in that, uh, right, like, what are we doing here in Boulder? Uh, what are we have much less in the way of, of we're a much more uh, wealthy, opulent uh, community with uh, less clear, obvious needs and 8,000 people who are 8,000. I don't know. Uh, lots and lots of folks uh, who are working to meet them. It's a thing we struggle with locally. How do we engage in uh, justice issues with a high degree of integrity uh, in a culture, in a, in a community where there's a nonprofit for every need in town that that is uh, perhaps not meeting all of those needs, right? But those folks are way more equipped than me with my uh, slightly advanced biblical knowledge uh, to address. Yeah, that discernment of how to, what a particular community needs, um, how to seek justice in a particular place, uh, and how you discern that. I mean, I think about that at St. Mark's too. I, I mean, I've been here seven years now, but um, but especially, I feel like we're almost in like a new point of discernment. You can sit in our parking lot and see construction on three or four different apartment complexes that are replacing single family homes. In so many ways, like the wave of gentrification has already crashed in our neighborhood. Um, so what is, what, what do we do? Do we, do we, there are moments when we're going to fight certain things, but is there also an approach where we where we create something, where we try to build some new relationships, and and what would that look like to do that in a way that's just and equitable? And yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's a it's a weird place. It's a weird place to be. So it, yeah, you're always kind of discerning, and even when you stay in the same context, in some places that context changes so rapidly. Yeah. <laughs> you're constantly reassessing what does this community need now? Um, what does justice look like here now? Because it might look different than it did even five years ago. Yeah, and working. Uh, I mean, one of the ways that that, that happens for us is working on campus. Um, one of the real benefits and strengths of campus ministry is that I get to be on campus and I am not employed by the university, uh, so I can't get fired by them. So your longevity is a, is a real benefit uh, because, especially on the student services side of things, on, on, the, on the student affairs side of things, staff turn over just incredibly quickly. I've been here eight years and we're on our fourth or fifth dean of students since I have been here. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and so... 
when I first got here, there was a way we engaged and we were working with the dean of students and we had this clear like way we were going to work together. Uh, but then that dean of students left and there's a new one and everything changes. Uh, and so uh, you got to plug in with that. Uh, but also knowing that it's going to change, um, it's not going to be a forever and you got to constantly figure out how to engage with the thing that is constantly changing. Well, I wonder if our texts for Sunday, August Well, 25th. Matt, first, I have a couple questions. <laughs> Could help us navigate, yes. Uh, number one, Matt, uh, I have a question about what I perceive to be the greatest injustice uh, in the Sacramento area. Uh, I apologize to our listeners. Uh, we've had way too many Sacramento area folk on the podcast recently because we had Casey uh, from UC Davis on. Uh, but my uh, primary question is uh, the greatest injustice that I perceive in the Sacramento area is the injustice of Vladi Divac as uh, the general manager of the Sacramento Kings Seems like it's been a real travesty. Uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions. I definitely have no comment about this. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm sorry, but um, all I've done really with the Kings is block the game mm. from <laughs> from people who wanted to go to Kings games after Stephen Clark's uh, murder and Black Lives Matter was very involved in protesting. So again, so sorry. Have no no worries. My, my favorite color is purple. Does that matter? Yes, that matters a lot. Uh, and then finally, Matt, uh, I have a question for you uh, that I've been holding on to for the past 20 minutes. Uh, are you uh, are you, are you down with UCC? <laughs> yeah, you know me. Thank you. <laughs> We're a professional podcast. Award winning, <laughs> Matt. Award winning. We stay focused. It's so it's, it's good. It's good. Time for the texts. Ding it. So our first reading. Uh, well, Zach, you might have a different reading. What's your? Because um, you you have the uh, semi continuous. That's right. I got Jeremiah. Okay, I'm gonna let you run with that for a few moments, and then we'll look at these uh, complimentary Matt we're continuing the semi-continuous uh, semi-prophets uh, starting off with Jeremiah uh, the first chapter of Jeremiah getting the call of Jeremiah now the word of the Lord came to me BB and Jeremiah and said uh, before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I consecrated you I appointed you a prophet to the nations then I said ah oh, Lord God truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. And Jeremiah was at that point the first uh, person of God who ever responded to the call of God by saying, I do not know how to speak. Uh, just kidding. That's a Moses illusion there, right? Moses is like a stutter. Uh, here, Jeremiah says, I don't even know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. Which is strange. Let's step back here. I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. Technically kind of a teenager, but he says that with, I'm assuming, words. Uh, so, a very contradictory statement here. <laughs> uh, does not hold up. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a boy, for you shall go to all of whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. Allusion to Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah with the hot coals, the seraphs yeah. uh, floating around touching hot you know, uh, doing some quick cauterization with hot coals. And the Lord said to me, now I have put words, my words in your mouth. See today that I point you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Uh, again, Matt, we've got Jeremiah here coming in hot, uh, just yeah. like all the prophets. It appears that all these prophets are prophets of doom. Uh, fun that we talked about vocation. We started about, uh, we talked a little bit about discerning call because we got Jeremiah's call story, which connects to lots of other folks' call stories. Uh, connects to Moses, who said, right, I've got the stutter. I need Aaron to speak for me. Uh, Jeremiah tries a similar line. I don't know how to speak. Uh, and it's also like uh, a bit like Paul, Paul's call story. If you go to Galatians, Paul says that God set me apart before I was born, uh, which is kind of similar to here. Uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I called you. Uh, one of my takes on vocation, Matt, that I've probably said on the podcast about a million times, is that I uh, we do a lot of work with vocation, with college students, uh, and I do not think that the, the question that we have been given about vocation is particularly helpful. And the question that I think we've been given is, what is God calling you to do? Because to answer that question requires that you've got to climb up a ladder, you got to build a 
the tower and sit in the God chair and see yourself and the world as God does. To answer that question, you've got to think like God thinks. And I think that typically doesn't go very well for us. The better question, I think, is to do vocation as a, the, the question of vocation is a question about identity. Who has God made you to be, uh, and how do you be that person in the world? Uh, because if we're really serious about asking the question, what has God called us to do? Uh, the answer, it seems, never is about us, right? Uh, what am I supposed to do? Well, love your neighbor and love God. Uh, well, it doesn't have much to do with me and what I'd like to do. Uh, and that's kind of reinforced by this text as well. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Uh, before you showed up uh, and the cells of your brain began to, to merge together and grow into who you are, uh, I had already called you to this thing. Um, so moves the focus from uh, moves the focus around a bit. Does that make some sense? Yeah. No, it's, a, yeah. it's still yeah. early in the mountains. Moves, moves the focus around a little bit. I'm I'm also just especially um, drawn to the, I mean, the, for me, I think the most powerful line is not even what the Lord is saying, but what uh, what Jeremiah says in response, the pathos of, uh, of the doubt that he has, right? There's this mm-hmm. like back and forth where the Lord tells him something and then he responds with a doubt. And then the word comes back even more powerfully than before. And that dialogue, that back and forth, I mean, it's just such a... The call is, is relational. The call is, it evolves over the course, even of this passage. Mm-hmm. And the doubt is a part of it. It's a part of the whole process, yeah. you know? I think for many of us who uh, come from evangelical backgrounds, um, th- that that speaks so true to us. Like, a lot of, when I talk to young people about their faith, I say, sometimes you have to lose it before you can find it again, right? Um, that doubt has to come. Mm-hmm. You have to begin to to wonder in new ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, and there, and, and I think that there are a lot of, I mean, you grew up LCMS. I actually went to EL, uh, LCMS church also. Mm-hmm. So I was doing the LCMS thing and the evangelical. Mm-hmm. I like doubled down on my shame. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, but, but the truth is the reason why, um, those communities are so wrapped up in themselves is they don't want you to wonder and doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, because the moment that happens, the gap begins to grow, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's where you find your true faith, I think. I was writing, uh, I, I go through a season in the spring where I write tons of, of references for students. I don't know what it says about our ministry, but but our, our folks uh, typically are, are pretty easy to write recommendations and references for. Uh, but if you don't include uh, a growth, a growing edge, if you don't say something bad about them, nobody believes what you write in a reference letter. And so I was having a, this was actually a verbal um, reference I was giving to somebody uh, and they wanted to know this person sounds fantastic. What's their, what are, what are some areas of growth for them? Uh, and the only thing I really had for this person uh, was I borrowed some, borrowed some language from uh, the stages of faith. Uh, I forget who did the stages of faith. Uh, I find them somewhat helpful. Uh, but that a transition from... Well, that the stages of faith, uh, as adults at least, really depends on, on that process that, that we're talking about here of, of dissolution and, and, and rebuilding, right? Breaking things apart and putting them back together. That, that where we encou- where I encounter folks in campus ministry often is that, that, in, that coming out of high school, folks have uh, taken on the, the faith of their community as their own, as a, as a, as a part of identity formation. Uh, they believe this stuff because that's who they are. Uh, and then that works for you until you come into a place where you encounter other traditions and worldviews uh, that demonstrate that that worldview is not perfect and does not answer all your questions. Uh, and so it breaks. And so that's the process of transition. Uh, so you start to build this thing for yourself uh, based on this experience of, of having the thing that was given to you. Uh, and that that works really well for a while. Uh, but that then the where I think the Richard Rohr point comes, the first and second half of life uh, comes when this thing that you have built for yourself that we have great confidence in, when that doesn't work, uh, when that breaks, that's the real... um, I think that's a really important part of of life Uh, and that the stages of faith guy calls that uh, the movement from that stage to the one that comes afterwards is that a person must experience the sacrament of defeat. Uh, And so that was my my growing edge for this person was that they're fantastic. They're great, uh, but they have not yet experienced the sacrament of defeat. How's that for a growing edge as a 
as in an emo uh, Enneagram 4. Uh, you're growing yeah. edges. You, you need to experience you, more pain. You're a 4 also? Uh, I don't believe in the Enneagram. Uh, oh, so that, what am I doing on this you, podcast? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm walking right now. You, I believe that makes me a 4, as I understand yeah. the Enneagram. Well, I'm also a 4, so... Yeah, yeah. I think that really rings true. Sacramental defeat. I would say the sacrament of surrender is important too, which is maybe similar to defeat. You're not going to have the answers. You're not going to know everything. This thing, this life that you've built for yourself, is um, is going to be destroyed and overthrown probably again and again and again. And surrendering to that as a reality is what the spiritual life is. Yeah. And if you don't like it, and Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. The Sacramento of defeat. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. That actually ties in pretty well to the uh, the complimentary text from Isaiah. Isaiah 58, 9b to 14. Uh, fantastic text. I think it's also a text for what, Ash Wednesday? It like, kicks off Lent sometimes too, which is just mm-hmm. Uh, It goes like this. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own way, serving your own interests, pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Word of God, word of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there it is again, this rebuilding, uh, repair, restoring. It, it assumes that something has been broken. And I imagine it will be broken again, that this is, um, this is a thing that happens. Yeah. But before it was yeah. broken, there was a before the ruins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I think that may be why the pointing of the finger is one of the first things that are mentioned in terms of removing the yoke. Um, because I think, uh, oh yeah, we can point the finger in so many different directions, including to the before the ruins and then the ruins and then, you know. And uh, at one time, that was a life-giving community that is now in ruin and has to be rebuilt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah what a line, the pointing of the finger. My favorite line in that text. And how quickly we do that, right? I mean, we see that in our political sphere right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of pointing of the finger mm-hmm. of what what is the reason that things are broken. Hey, which finger? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I want to throw the middle finger. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this this whole idea of returning to something that never was actually. Um, to be fair to Isaiah, uh, Egg whites are incredibly healthy. <laughs> well, if you remove the yolk, you know, you're just left with uh, the egg white delight McMuffin. Again, we're an award winning podcast. <laughs> with really good toast. It's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about the podcast. This is a text I just want to sit with. You know, yeah. I just soak it in. Uh, it's hard to even pull it apart, but yeah. I- yeah. I was just going to ask a question. I'd love to know your thoughts on the connection between the Sabbath and this, these lines of justice. Yeah. Are you trying to transition us to the gospel? No. Not really. I really <laughs> want to stay in Isaiah for a second. It will transition us. Yeah. But seriously. What do you, do you have a thought about it? What's your... I mean, it's like a lot of the a lot of the um, this passage is about refraining from trampling on the Sabbath, pursuing interests on my holy day. I mean, the Sabbath as a creation or as a command to rest, to take a break from labor. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Like now that I'm reading it, I'm like, 
so I think when we get this on Ash Wednesday, it starts with like, is this the fast I choose, right? It starts like earlier than this. And then I think it ends with like restore streets to live in. And today we do like, we get that different focus, right? We get a piece of the, um, remove the yoke, the pointing of the finger. And then it goes into the Sabbath. Like that's where the focus is for yeah. this time. Well, I wonder if, if maybe a helpful place to go here is, uh, uh, it didn't quite make it, but the, we're getting prophets of doom, right? Uh, but I, I really like the last verse of the Jeremiah because there is some hope at the end of the doom uh, that I point you to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, to overthrow, and then to build and to plant. And we've talked about this rhythm, this pattern of uh, things need to be taken apart and broken in order for them to come back together. Uh, but an acknowledgement that that process does not happen immediately. Um, so to hit one of our favorite topics, which is agrarian metaphors, you don't put the seed in the ground and the plant grows tomorrow, uh, that that the new growth will co- requires time and space. So this week I am interested uh, in the Sabbath as a sign of the incompleteness of creation, yeah. uh, that perhaps our finger pointing the uh, accusations that's going to be uh, right. We're going to get the accuser, Satan, here in uh, in the Luke text. But that a, a part of that, that our, our quick movement to, to pointing the finger is our inability to recognize that the creation is incomplete right now uh, and that it needs to, we need time for growth for, for the creation to be made full. Yeah, and also, though, I think to, to recognize, I mean, what is important about the Sabbath, but to remember that you are, that you are, you, you are not owned by anyone, right? Yeah. Like that you, that you have the ability to be a free whole person mm-hmm. um, and to take the, the time to recognize in your own body and your own being that there is freedom there. Um, and so no matter what happened before the ruins, no matter what happens in the ruins, mm-hmm. um, that you are and you will always be beloved. Yeah. I was just jotting down two things about the Sabbath that I that that resonate for me. I mean, and I think one of them is connected to that. You are you are not owned by anyone. The Sabbath is like this equalizing force. Yeah. It's like this equalizing moment. The rest of the week. Oh, we're all in these different positions, grappling for position. But the Sabbath ought to be this this equalizing moment. But then the other thing is that the Sabbath reminds us that it doesn't rest entirely on any any one of us, right? It doesn't rest entirely on exactly. our work. That's I that that resonates with me as someone that can very easily fall into workaholism, right? Like even if the work is good, you can get you can just fall completely into it, and and that leads down its own path, uh, right? Its own path of destruction. Um, and so to remember that, like, yeah, you have a role to play, but this is not entirely on your shoulders, that that's critical. Man, Game of Thrones is still a topical pop culture thing, right? Uh, so so your Game of Thrones image for this text uh, clearly is when uh, Tyrion and Jorah are on the boat going through the uh, the ruins of Valyria. <laughs> I haven't watched all of them, man. Gosh, man, <laughs> you're killing me. They they try to take the shortcut through the ruins of Valyria over to the east, and uh, the stone men uh, come and get him. And that's when Jorah picks up the old uh, spoilers, uh, picks up rosacea of the stone uh, that that Samuel yeah, right. uh, clears up with <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. super disgusting treatment. Good, yeah. good throws reference. Okay. I got you. <laughs> Casey got it. He was not I got it. I was here. I, I was actually, here. Yeah, I actually did a, a, a with the first season of Game of Thrones. We had a whole thing in my church around Game of Thrones and progressive really? Christianity. Yeah. yeah, I showed scenes from the movie, connected it to readings, gospel readings, and yeah, it was amazing. But yeah, so I love that. I love that connection. I didn't get into it the last season. I got sucked in. Yeah, it's it's quite uh, yeah. Intense and yeah, captivating <laughs> and full of baptismal imagery. Well, anything else in Isaiah before we dive into these? There's things? so much in Isaiah, but I feel like we should. Yeah, um, we stop the trip. Well, let's uh, 
judge the gospel then, which also deals with the Sabbath. The Sabbath, Luke 13, 10 to 17. Like one of us should probably read this one. Zach, you want to read it? Oh, sure. Uh, now, there was this Jesus character, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Uh, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her uh, or kept her infirm for 18 years. And she was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, uh, woman, because that's how uh, Jesus instructs us to uh, address women. Uh, woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid hands on her immediately, she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue uh, was indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath and that was against the regulations. Uh, and he kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan, whom the accuser bound for 18 long years, be set free from bondage? on this Sabbath. And when he said this, all of his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at the splendiferous things that he was doing. Some fun stuff here, man. Uh, the straight, the word for uh, to be stand up straight, to be straightened up. These words and bent over uh, and crippled, they actually do not appear that often uh, in any of the Gospels. But if you're looking for a connection, uh, straightened up gets used uh, in John 8. Uh, and it always seems uh, that being bent over and straightened out happens uh, in Jesus' relationship with women in particular. Uh, he cures, uh, there's a, a curing in uh, Luke 8, uh, a miracle in John, in John 8 and Luke 8, uh, where Jesus bends down and straightens up, uh, always in relationship uh, with women and women in particular standing up straight. Uh, so this is not... An anomaly. Well, I, I think it has less to do with being straight, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't get it. Right. Exactly. I don't get it. Um, I mean, I I love this. For me, when Jesus is healing people, it's always about dignity, right? Restoring people to dignity and community. Um, I often talk to young people again about salvation. Salvation is about wholeness, the restoring to community. Um, and so when I come to these texts um, where Jesus is healing someone, I'm not looking for the, the magic of the healing, mm -hmm. the magic of becoming straight, because that's not what it's about. Um, I'm looking for the ways in which Jesus offers um, wholeness, mm -hmm. the way that Jesus is trying to bring dignity to another, to say, I see you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't think it's any accident that th these stories are about women. Yeah, I think um, you know how long does it take? I'm just going back to Isaiah. How long does it take for the pointing of the finger and the speaking of evil towards people to bend them over? Yes, come on. <laughs> and I I mean even this is a passive. This is used in, at least in the translation. I haven't gone back to look at the Greek, but the it's she was bent over. She was bent over. <laughs> That's different than she, you know, uh, bent, herself over. bent herself over or some kind of a, you know, there's a spirit, there's an accuser. Yes, that's right. That is at work here. Um, and Jesus just said, I see you. That's right. It's okay to straight. Excuse the language. It's okay to. It is okay to be straight. Am I be right? Be the fullness of yourself and um, look people in the eye yes. instead of with your head and your body bent over. That's right. Yeah, I, I wonder if it'd be worth spending some time as a preacher exploring a spirit that had crippled her. I mean, it's so easy to just let that run by. Uh, or hear it as like a just like a supernatural spirit. Who knows what that is? But to actually unpack it, what's the spirit that it crippled her? Because if we understand that, we're gonna understand what Jesus is really doing here. Absolutely. And are we not in a time where 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 we are beginning to see women stand upright, right, and and look the demon in the face? Um, I mean that that is. That is a powerful image. Yeah. These stories are why, as a woman, I can be a Christian. Yeah. Because there's a whole lot in the Bible that makes it really difficult. Wait a second. What are you? What are you? <laughs> just kidding. Um, we don't have that long. <laughs> oh, no. uh, yeah. Looked at the Greek and um, not passive, but I think it still works. It's a she was. 
so that's where your your object verb is, but there's a participle. She was being bent over. Uh, so there is an activeness to her oppression uh, that that is there. Uh, for uh-huh. Lutherans, being bent over and being in bondage moves us very quickly to what like Luther calls, uh, and again, on this podcast, we hate Luther quoting, but occasionally we have to do it. The essence of sin for Luther is, uh, Matt, you know Latin better than I do. How does it, what is it? Incurvatus. Incurvatus in say, to be curved in, to be curved in upon oneself. Uh, And so you get the woman here, uh, and it mirrors our kind of confession liturgy. we're in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. Uh, so those are strong like images that that, that, that will be there in, in Lutheran context. Um, but to tie into that, that Greek nugget that I threw in there, um, most of the time we think about that as being curved in upon ourselves as individuals uh, and being in bondage to sin as individuals. Uh, but I think a part of this text is to say that sometimes we are held in bondage to sin that is not our own sin, right? But it is the sin of the community. And so perhaps we should consider uh, sometimes we hold others in bondage like this woman because of our sin, not because of the sin of the woman. Because that was the presumption at the time was that it was her sin that, that was holding her in bondage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how bad stuff happened. But that's not, I think, what's happening here. Which, and if that's the assumption, then maybe some of the um, some of the opponent's motivation here, right? Like, she did this to herself. Like, what are you doing? That could be part of the the impetus here. It isn't just this, I don't know, the Sabbath purity culture that they're yeah. <laughs> well, and the, yeah. this is super Girardian, right? Um, of having the scapegoat and having one we can put. I mean, it's got all the hallmarks of, of Gerard, right? That uh, that there's an authority figure uh, who's scapegoating the woman, and we've got the accuser, we've got Satan in there. Uh, and that was, I mean, that's the purpose of, of purity culture and shame. Uh, ironically, we get shame at the end of the Guess end of this yeah. reading. Uh, but that it is uh, a way of maintaining community and power uh, through the ostracization of, of the other. Uh, which Jesus comes to to blow up, yeah. Yeah, I think um, you know there's this this contrast between guilt and shame that a lot of uh, social or, or uh, psychologists and researchers use, where shame is believing that a person is bad inherently, right. and guilt is realizing that your behavior was bad or wrong, and it's kind of a motivator to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I see. Jesus here, when he's pointing out something, he's pointing out wrong behavior. Right. He's not calling people, I mean, he's calling them hypocrites, but he's <laughs> saying the way that Outside you are... Outside of explicitly the calling them hypocrites. You are, uh, yeah. yeah, the way that you're behaving towards this particular situation is, is not okay. Right. And here's what's wrong with it. Um, whereas perhaps in the woman's case, uh, her bent overness had a lot to do with shame believing that she wasn't worthy of standing up this text is really going to work for you uh dear preacher in your context because you know you can ask this literally who among you do not untie your ox or donkey from the manger at least in my context we have a lot of ox owners uh and and we've got a lot of asses so that should be pretty easy for us you have a lot of subaru outback owners i think that's right (laughs) So maybe you could tie that in somehow. Actually, they don't really. Do they make the outbacks? The outback have really fallen out of favor recently. But oh, that's too bad. yeah, you um, gotta get that cross track. What a what a text! I can't believe I have to wait a month to preach on this. Now I want to do it tomorrow. <laughs> Matt, you're ruining <laughs> the illusion. <laughs> Sorry, we're recording this early. Um, what? Uh, any, anything else we want to throw out there on Luke? I just want to say thank yeah. you for the opportunity to be together. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, this is really great. Yeah. Of course, yeah, no, thank you, thank you all. Well, we're um, not done yet. We, yeah, we got to throw a couple songs out there, we're going to do it real quick, uh, but we, uh, part of the reason for this podcast was that uh, we were trying to get away from the purity culture of Christian music, because we yeah. really, like, we find God everywhere, in so many, and so much music. I know for me, part of my journey in Christianity was discovering you two, um, and the way they kind of straddled that line between sacred and secular. And then that was a gateway drug for so many other artists for me. And so we always try to name a couple of songs that we hear out there on the radio that might relate to the text that we just read uh, or some of the themes that we just talked about. So, um, Zach, what do you listen to this week? Oh, Matt, 
it's, this was a hard one uh, this week. Uh, lots and lots of good songs that, that, that fit this. Um, but, man, I'm going to go with, uh, oh, you know, sometimes uh, the night comes. Matt, in the land, uh, when the sun, what happens here, at least, I don't know what it's like in California, uh, the sun will disappear beyond the western horizon. And when that happens, our source, the primary source of light uh, goes away. Uh, and when that happens, the land becomes what some people call uh, dark. And at that point, uh, lunar light, uh, shout out to Apollo, uh, is the only light we'll see. And when that, when that comes, Matt, uh, some people are afraid. Some people are scared, but not me. I will not be afraid uh, so long as uh, as you stand by me, Matt. Uh, I'm going to use Stand By Me, uh, tied into the gospel here, and I'm going to go with Florence and the Machines version. Uh, lovely. There are lots of good covers, but I'm going to point you towards uh, Flo and the Machine. I also write, I like this idea of Sabbath uh, as a sign of the incompleteness of creation, that we are not yet there. Uh, and so I'm going with the Ava Brothers, uh, incomplete and insecure off of uh, I and Love and Me. Was that it? Uh, and then finally, Matt, I like uh, the agrarian tinge of hope at the end of Jeremiah uh, that you are called not just to destroy and overthrow, but to build and to plant. So I'm going with a song called uh, Where This Flower Blooms by Tyler, the Creator, and Frank Ocean. Check it out. Awesome. Thanks for those. Uh, I'm just going to throw in a couple of... uh... I have no street cred this time. Sometimes, you know, you got to get like an indie artist in there. Just mm-hmm. Cool and authentic. But no, I'm just going with the big guns this time. Uh, my, my favorite band, U2, has a song, Stand Up Comedy, Stand Up For Your Love. It's a terrible title, but a really good uh, song with a great guitar riff. Uh, stand Up, though. Stand Up For Your Love. Um, Springsteen's uh, My City of Ruins, which is a beautiful, beautiful song that I think relates both to Isaiah and to this gospel. The, the chorus is come on, rise up, but exploring the city of ruins uh, that Isaiah talks about. Uh, and then uh, Beyonce's Spirit from the Lion King uh, that has rise up over and over and over again. I got thrown on there again, Beyonce's Spirit. I, I, I have uh, just two, which is uh, Cindy Lauper, the good old yes. uh, True Colors, right? Um, as especially from the Isaiah text, um, but this idea that just notice, notice where you've been, notice what's in you. Um, you are beautiful. Um, and the gospel reading too, I guess. And always Bob Marley's get up, stand up. Nice, nice. Um, for me, it's uh, Roar by Katy Perry. Yes. Um, yes. Especially for the gospel reading, um, and then for for the other reading, uh, I, the other two, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Um, I like "Ring of Fire" by Johnny Cash. Yes, Johnny Cash, love it. Johnny gets on here more than you would think, man. Well, Johnny's deep. Yeah. No, he really is. Like, I used to, when I was growing up, I'd always say, like, oh, I like all kinds of music except for country. Because I discovered Johnny oh, Cash, and yeah. I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> what else you got country music? I'm in. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you both for being on the podcast. Oh, we really appreciate it. Thanks thank for you. taking the time. I know it's a busy week for you all, so thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We're, we should I'll be time. off. <laughs> yeah. One last quick question. Uh, have you all been able to bathe since you've been there? Yeah, yeah. That is an essential. An essential. I. I we're with fifteen teenagers. Wait okay. a second. You're telling me for it's an days. essential thing that your hosts provide uh, bathing opportunities for you? Well, Zach, we didn't have the shower when you came. All right, we didn't have it built in. We built it. I ran my entire group through the shower trip. in Matt's apartment. Thanks a lot, Cesar Chavez. (laughs) Dear listeners, thanks for tuning in. Also, be sure to check out the Arenacast. You can find it on iTunes, I know. Uh, uh, Arenacast. Anywhere you can find podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, cool. Well, it's uh, it's been real. It's been real vinyl.